It's good to be here, and thank you all for having me, for your hospitality. Good to see you all again. Uh, my name is Derek from the church in Louisville. Uh, I'm told I don't pronounce that correctly. I'm not from Louisville, from Oklahoma, so uh, that's sort of my excuse, but um, I'll get a little bit more into how I came to Louisville later. But uh, anyways, the first time that I was in this building was the day that I met my wife, Katya, and Lord willing, she'll be here with my family uh, for the next service. We have two kids, Kara Lee and Luke. They're both really little. Uh, Hopefully you'll get to meet them. Um, I've been asked to share my story, my testimony, and in the words of Mark 5, to tell you what great things the Lord has done for me and how he has had compassion on me. So my story is a personal testimony of God's grace, of his amazing grace toward me. So that's what I'm doing and giving a testimony, even that language. It's me bearing witness to you about what God has done in my life. So it's not really about me. It's about God and his grace. So I share this with you always with a little bit of reluctance, but knowing that God uses personal testimonies to magnify his grace. So that's my desire. Uh, A definition of grace that I really like, and maybe you all, most of you probably do know J.I. Packer. He speaks of God's grace as his love freely shown toward guilty sinners, contrary to their merit, contrary to what we deserve, and indeed in defiance of our demerit. That's God's grace, his love freely shown to guilty sinners. So that's what I'm seeking to do in these moments together. I was raised in a loving and a happy home in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma City. Uh, This is part of God's grace to me that I'm sharing. I'm very thankful for my upbringing. I had a loving father and mother and two brothers, and my parents loved each other, and they were married for almost 40 years. And my mom is with the Lord now, uh, January 10 of 2021. Um, She died of, of a brain cancer. I grew up in Oklahoma City. Uh, If you've heard of the Bible Belt, this is the buckle of the Bible Belt. And nominal Christianity is certainly more common there than it would be here. And by nominal Christianity, I would mean Christianity only in name. So people who would say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. But for many people, it would almost be by default. It's part of the culture there. It's still to your advantage in many ways to say that you're a Christian in Oklahoma and other parts of, of the country around there. Uh, whether it's in business or whatever, if a man takes his children to church and says he's a Christian, generally that's seen as a favorable thing. My understanding of the Northeast is that's not the case. But that's the context that I grew up in. Uh, We did not have family worship. Uh, We didn't open the Bible really that much at home. Uh, We prayed at meals. We prayed at night. Uh, I did talk to my dad recently And he said, I wanted you and your brothers to know the truth. And he was committed, uh, along with my mom, to taking us to church every Sunday. And we went on Wednesdays, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, We did regularly uh, get taught to be respectful and honest and hardworking. And one of the big things that my dad and my grandfather as well stressed was coachable. My dad was, was my coach Uh, for many years. He said, son, you need to be coachable. And what he was saying is you need to be teachable. You need to be humble. And that's so important. It's important in the Christian life that we are 
teachable, that we're coachable. So that was a lesson and many other lessons that I learned by God's grace. Uh, We could call this common grace. The Lord was teaching me many things. And he was using my father, mother, my grandparents. And the older I get, the more I appreciate my parents. Even though I didn't have the blessing, as I believe many of you do, of of having instruction in the home, clear, direct instruction in the home, I'm thankful for what I did have. And as I look back, I see so much of God's grace in my upbringing, in preserving me, and in drawing me to himself. My grandparents, my dad's parents, had a profound influence on me. Uh, my grandma especially was, was very intentional to speak of Christ to me. And I still remember, this is one of my earlier memories, I was just a little guy, and I asked her, I was there in the living room, I said, what is the most important verse in the Bible? Because I'd come to understand that the Bible was the word of God, and it was important. And I wanted to know, well, what's the most important verse? And I have a very clear memory of her getting out a pencil and a Bible and taking me to John, and then to John chapter 3 and John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was probably the first verse I memorized, probably the same for many of you. So early on, I had some sense of the gospel and the importance of God's word and the need for salvation. And I am so thankful for what we could call maybe this Christian heritage. And only the Lord knows how much influence my parents especially my grandparents had. My grandfather was always talking to us about priorities. He said, all right, God first, and then your family, your school, and then for him it was baseball, but everything else. He loved baseball, but he was hammering that to us. God first, God first in your life. So I I just want to say, one, to encourage parents and grandparents even, that you never know how how much you can be used in the life of of your children, even if you think they're not listening. Uh, Grandparents, you can have a profound impact for good uh, upon your grandchildren. And if you have parents and grandparents, believing parents and grandparents, who want to raise you up in the fear and instruction of the Lord, don't despise that. Do not despise it. It is a great blessing. It's God's grace towards you that you have people who are that concerned for you and love you because it's the best thing that they can do for you is to lead you to Christ. I was baptized at the age of nine. That's just what we did in Southern Baptist churches where I came from. I'm not sure whether I was a believer or not. I really don't remember much of anything from the age of nine. I do know my grandparents and my parents uh, were happy about it. Maybe that was part of it. But as I thought about it, I think maybe the Lord had really saved me at that young age. I was encouraged later to get rebaptized, which I did do. Uh, but I don't know exactly when the Lord saved me. I do talk to some people, some young people especially, who are concerned and troubled by that, that they can't pinpoint uh, the day, the hour of their conversion. Or, or you didn't have some Paul-like dramatic experience, which I didn't have either. And I would just encourage you that the Paul-like dramatic experience, that's the exception. And the Lord does not always work that way. And you may not always know the day of your salvation. But the question is, are you alive? 
Are you breathing? You might not know when God brought you from death to life, but you say, hey, I'm breathing. I'm trusting the Lord now. I'm clinging to him by God's grace. And that's the thing that you ought to be concerned with. The change, though, I will say this, though maybe less dramatic, it's no less radical. It may not be falling off of your horse and having that Paul-like experience, but it still involves a radical change, a new heart, a complete renewal, new desires. So certainly there will be that change. God in his grace preserved me in many ways from many sins. One of the things that he used was a group called a huddle group in high school, but also going back to middle school. And this was just a group that we had at our church. There were two men who led this group who were in their 20s. We would get together every week. There was probably eight or nine of us. We would hold each other accountable. I don't think we ever had any serious instruction when we got together. But still, God used it because I knew that these were two godly men, uh, men whom I thought were the coolest men, and they loved Jesus. So even just knowing that these men love the Lord and these are real men, that was helpful to me. And then having these other guys that I went to school with, I went to large public schools, and there was all sorts of temptations, but I had this group, this huddle group, and we held each other accountable, and the Lord used that. And I can honestly say, with all the temptations that you would expect at a large high school, I never felt any of those temptations to to do this or to do that. This group, the Lord really used. We had a motto, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And I saw how the Lord was, was doing that in my own life. So I can't overstate the importance of choosing your friends carefully, especially early on, but in all of your life. Choose your friends carefully because your friends will have more of an impact on your life than you can understand. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. I had a football coach in high school, Coach Bob, And he always had these sayings, his isms. One of them was, nothing good happens after midnight. But he would also say, this was his paraphrase of Proverbs 13, 20. He would say, you run with the fools, you are a fool. And he would say it over and over again. He was basically saying, choose your friends wisely. So never make, let me encourage you to never make a close friend with someone who's not a friend of God. And, and I want you to hear me carefully. Never make a close, intimate friend with someone who's not a friend of God if you're seeking to follow Christ because you, you can easily be led astray. Now, you should know people who don't follow Christ and have a heart that they would know Christ too. That's not what I'm saying. But a close, intimate friend. Do not make a close, intimate friend with someone who's not a friend of God. And parents, you need to insist upon this, and it's probably not going to go over well at certain times. But we are more influenced than we realize. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived, because we're easily deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Many of you know J.C. Ryle. He has an excellent quote here. There's a little book called Thoughts for Young Men. It's good for young men and women, and I would encourage you to read that. He says, there's no telling the harm that is done by associating with godless companions and friends. The devil has few better helps in ruining your soul. Grant him this help, and he cares little for all the armor with which you may be armed against him. The devil knows well that good education, early habits of morality, sermons... 
books, and so on, will benefit you little if you only cling to ungodly friends. So let me ask you, what sort of influence are your friends having on you? Are they like iron sharpening iron to you, making you better, challenging you? Or are they the opposite? Are they weighing you down? Think carefully about that. As I think about God's grace toward me, I cannot but think of people. God in his providence, as he's guiding all things, has brought many people into my life, many godly people who have shaped me in many different ways, leading me to the Lord, sharpening me, helping, helping me to grow. When I was in high school, I went to a Billy Graham crusade with my grandmother, and I picked up this little, I don't, I don't remember, I know he would have been evangelizing, it was at a, a big auditorium, uh, stadium rather, and I picked up this little book called Day by Day with Billy Graham. And it was a little devotion. It would have uh, one or two verses at the top, and it would have uh, a paragraph or two. It wasn't much, but I began to read that every day. And I wore that little book out day by day with Billy Graham. And at that time, I had not been reading the scriptures regularly. But the Lord was using that. I didn't understand it at the time, but he was using that. I like to think of it as an appetizer. So appetizers... You're not meant to stuff yourself on the appetizers and then you don't want to eat your meal. They're supposed to whet your appetite. The Lord was using this as an appetizer in my life to lead me to a greater diet, you could say, of Scripture. So the Lord was using day by day with Billy Graham to bring me to the conviction that I needed to be reading the Scriptures daily and not just a little verse here and there. But I needed to be opening up the scriptures and spending time with the Lord. So it was my senior year of high school. I'd never read through the Bible. Senior year of high school, me and a buddy decided we're going to do this. And that's probably a good way to do it. Get with some friends and you can do this. But we read through the Bible together in a year. And and that was a life-changing experience for me. And I, I do believe the Lord had saved me. But until that point, I can say... I had not really grown much. The Lord was using his word, working in me by his spirit, by his word, and he was making me more and more like Christ. That's how he works. So I want to encourage you early on, as I was encouraging you all yesterday, to early on in your life, make the word of God your daily companion. And not just to read it, not just to check it off, not just to get through it in a year. You don't even have to get through it in a year. But make the word of God your daily companion with the mindset that I'm coming here to feed upon the word of God, to hear from my God and to know him better and and certainly pray. Set that time aside. So let me challenge you to do that again. Guard that time and make that time undistracted. Put away the noise. There's lots of noise. Put away the phones if at all possible. If you're going to have your phone, put it on airplane mode. But get alone with the Lord every day. And I was learning as I was reading God's word, learning by experience the value and the sweetness of the word of God. So as God's word says, Psalm 119.72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. I was learning that by experience, its value, but also its sweetness. Psalm 119.103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
God especially used Psalm 127.1 in my life to just get my attention. And this was when I was in college. Unless the Lord builds the house, they who build it labor in vain. And that struck me. I even called my friend. I was reading with him. And the same verse had struck him. And we had this thought that what are we, what are we doing? Are we building our house without the Lord? Ecclesiastes got my attention too. I found Ecclesiastes, even though some people would say this is a depressing book, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What's the point of life under this sun? I found it refreshingly encouraging. And it made me think about eternal realities and the things that I was chasing after as I was beginning college and thinking about my career and what I would be doing. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun. And here's this man, the preacher, probably Solomon, saying, I had everything, and yet, what was the purpose? And it caused me to think about what's the purpose of my life? What am I living for? So God was using his word in many ways to confront me and to challenge me. He was working in me by his grace. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep, his, keep her way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119.9. Another verse here. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's verse 13 of 119. And then verse 105 of Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It's a dark world. We need a lamp and we need a light. The word of God. Now, moving on there, I attended a small Christian college, Southern Nazarene University, and I did that to run track, and that was just my first year of college. I began to work with uh, Youth for Christ, and I worked for Youth for Christ for four years during college, working with middle school and high school students, and the Lord was using that. Uh, At that time, it at least crossed my mind that maybe the Lord would be calling me to the ministry, but it's all fuzzy to me at that time. Uh, I did think about doing a theology ministry degree at Southern Nazarene University, but I had a close and godly friend. His name is Austin. He actually texted me last night. haven't heard from him in quite a while, but uh, he inspired me to pursue a civil engineering degree. I remember walking with him, and this this was really a breakthrough for me. Uh, We were just walking down the street at night. I think he was in his neighborhood. And he was telling me how he felt called to the ministry. And yet he was going to pursue a civil engineering degree and felt called to go go to other countries and help those who didn't have uh, the infrastructure that we have, roads, clean water, buildings, those kinds of things. And that was just, to me, it blew my mind. He's going to be serving the Lord as a civil engineer. I thought only missionaries and pastors really were serving the Lord and in the ministry. And that was a breakthrough for me. I read a book by Oz Guinness a little bit after that called The Call. And the Lord was using that to help me think rightly and biblically about vocation or calling and about how whatever we do, whatever our calling might be, whether you're ever up here preaching or not, the Lord is calling you to serve him and to be a minister in whatever you do. So I transferred to the University of Oklahoma, a large school there in Oklahoma, and I began to study civil engineering. And here was another turning point in my life. I spoke of turning points yesterday. And this was, I actually know the date, January 1st, 2009, because I'd begun to keep a journal, which I would encourage you all to do. 
uh, very helpful as you read the scriptures, write something, uh, write your questions as you're wrestling with things, your prayers. Uh, the Lord's really used that in my own life. But I remember exactly where I was sitting in my truck in my parents' driveway, and I remember what I was thinking. I had this sense. The Spirit was, was just helping me to think clearly about the fact I did not make myself, and I didn't make this world that I inhabit. I was just thinking like, I didn't make me. Psalm 100, verse 3, note, it says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. So I'm thinking this and saying, Okay, I didn't make myself. Why would I live for myself? I didn't make this world. I, I'm not upholding this world. God is. So why would I go on living for self? It was just confirming things. And I had this, this sense of this that I can't explain other than the Lord must have been using something that I was reading at that time in his word and by his spirit really bringing this home to me, saying, Derek, you are not your own. You ought to live for God. It would be foolish. What is the point you didn't make yourself, you didn't make this world, so if you live for yourself, therefore, you're going to get to the end of your life and realize you totally missed the point. Because it's not your world and it's not your life. You belong to God. So I use this language of a covenant, and I'd, I'd written in my journal, I made a covenant with God that day, and I often think back to this. Just give you a little excerpt of what I wrote so you know what was going through my mind. I made a covenant with God. I asked God to take me with all of my imperfections and mold me into the man that I have been created to be. I have asked God to help me by whatever means necessary to stay the course. And countless times I have gone back to that and said, Lord, you know I've made a covenant with you. I've prayed that you would help me to continue following you and being faithful, and that's been helpful to me. I've often asked myself where I got this language. I don't remember hearing a sermon, someone telling me to do this, but I think maybe 2 Chronicles 34, 31. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul. Does that resonate with you? Yes, I want to keep all of God's commandments, not to save yourself. You know you can't save yourself. But it's, you're saying, it's my God. He saved me. He's been so gracious, so kind. I want to live for him. Well, I joined a fraternity at the University of Oklahoma, if you know what that is. They're really big down south. It's just what you did. It was never in doubt that I would do that. And the Lord used this experience, I see this now more clearly, in a very unusual way. I had more Christian fellowship in that fraternity house. I lived in it for two years with 80-something other guys. I had more Christian fellowship than I'd probably ever had. I joined this particular um, fraternity because the friend that I had read the Bible with was in that fraternity and I knew of about eight or ten other solid Christians who were there and they saw it as their mission field. So I joined this fraternity and the Lord really used this. It was, it was just the most strange thing. Uh, the, the guy that was over the fraternity, he was an older man and he was running Campus Crusade for Christ, but he was also, um, I forget the language, but he was sort of our house manager. And he would meet with guys and go through the scriptures. And there was this movement of discipleship where instead of the older guys, we call it hazing, where you try to make the newcomers miserable, instead of doing that, they're saying, hey, why don't you come with me and let's read the scriptures? Let's talk about Christ. 
There was even a movement of reform theology. And I, I had never heard the word reformed theology that I know of. I didn't know who Calvin was. I didn't know any of these things. But I remember a friend sitting down, he was in the fraternity house, and, and telling me about some of these things about original sin. And he said, you know R.C. Sproul? No, I've never heard of R.C. Sproul. I went and looked him up. And as I was listening to Sproul and to other guys preaching the gospel, I began to think, this is just the gospel that I'm reading in the scriptures. So I was devouring this teaching, this reformed teaching, and saying, this is biblical. This is right. This is what the Lord has already been teaching me. So at that point, I guess, I became reformed. I certainly didn't know what a reformed Baptist was. That would come later. I had, uh, I call him my Puritan roommate. His name was Dave. Again, this is, this is a rowdy fraternity house, and Dave and another Christian bought Puritan paperbacks, you know, the Puritan paperbacks, Banner of Truth. They bought this big box of Puritan paperbacks. They got a good deal for it. And we were on the third floor. The second floor, there, I remember there's probably some sort of party going on. And these guys are in a room with the Puritan paperbacks having a draft and fighting over the Puritan paperbacks. No, I want Thomas Boston. I want this. You know, they're just, this doesn't happen in a fraternity house. But these were the guys the Lord brought into my life. We had a loft and my, my Puritan roommate, Dave, had written a quote, uh, four things God cannot do. You know, you, you could decorate your rooms however you want, but this wasn't the typical decoration. Four things God cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot die. God cannot deny himself. And God cannot behold iniquity with approbation and delight. These were the sorts of things that God was bringing to me through these people that he brought into my life to think deeply about these things. Another turning point was one night when I asked Dave, my Puritan roommate, how he shared the gospel. These guys were really diligent, to my shame, to share the gospel with men in the house. And we had to meet with the new class coming in, all the freshmen. We were, they were supposed to get our interview, so they had to sit down with us for a certain amount of time. I was usually busy and say, yeah, yeah, let me just sign your thing. These guys sat down with them and shared the gospel. So I said, how do you do that? What, what do you do? He said, well, I usually, and this is just at night, and we were talking. I didn't expect the Lord to just, the light bulbs to go off, but they did. He said, I usually start with a question and say, how can God be both merciful and just? How can he forgive sinners and still be righteous and just? And he would let the people think about that. Hmm. I, I think of Exodus 34. I'll just read it. You don't have to turn there, but... This is a key verse in the scriptures where the Lord is revealing his name to Moses. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. By no means clearing the guilty. So yes, a forgiving God, a gracious God, a merciful God, but by no means clearing the guilty. That means he doesn't just sweep sin under the rug. Well, how can that be? That's the tension he would leave them with, and then he would lead them to the answer. The answer is in that most important verse, John 3, 16. It's through Christ, but he would lead them specifically to Romans chapter 3 where we learn how God can justify the ungodly and still be a righteous judge. 
and not be a wicked judge for doing that. If we would justify the ungodly, declare righteous somebody who's really guilty, if the judge would do that in, in our life, a human judge, we would say he's not a just judge. Well, how can God do that? And so he'd take him to Romans chapter 3, especially verses 21 to 26. I'm not going to read them right now, but he would talk about that wondrous exchange, about how our sins on the cross were placed on Christ so that he paid our sins, the debt of our sins, and then his righteousness was placed on us, all who believe in him, by faith, receiving that righteousness freely. So there's this exchange. So God then can justify the ungodly who has faith in Christ. So that's how he would share the God. And for me, it's just, I, didn't, I did not have that depth of understanding of the gospel. But my roommate here, in the middle of the night, me just asking him a question while I couldn't sleep, begins to share this with me. So I'll just say this. You never know what sort of seeds you might be planting with your friends, even your believing friends, as you speak the gospel to each other, as you speak truth. And for years, he didn't know that that was a turning point in my life. I did call him up eventually and say, hey, do you remember this? I mean, that really, really helped me. Well, beginning in college, I had this growing desire to study and teach the word. I didn't know whether the Lord was calling me to be a pastor, but I really latched on to Ezra 7.10. Say, that's, that's what I want. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So God, I don't know if you're calling me, but I want to study your word. I want to do it. I want to be faithful and I want to teach others and help them to do the same and walk faithfully with you. So that was really the beginning of of a sense of, of call. And that desire was growing as I was Uh, working for Youth for Christ and teaching young people on a fairly regular basis. Uh, I graduated. I began working in Oklahoma City as an engineer. Uh, I loved my church. I loved the people, but I had increasing um, difficulties. And as I was coming to certain convictions and seeing that uh, the church didn't have the same convictions, I began to be troubled And it was a distressing time in many ways. And this fueled my desire for formal training, to study the scriptures. And somehow someone had convinced me that that if I were really going to study the scriptures, I should study Hebrew and Greek. So I really had this desire to do that. And eventually that led to me just going to Louisville, which was a shock to everyone that I would just leave. I would leave a good job. My dad at first was like, "Ah, you know, you've got a good job, son, and you need to support your family someday. But now he is 100% supportive uh, of of what I've done. But uh, I didn't have a solid church. I I was single. I had the opportunity. So I up and left Oklahoma. Uh, That was when I was 25. Uh, It was Father's Day 2013. And um, long story short, I went to Jackson, Mississippi first, to RTS, because they had this Hebrew boot camp there for the summer. And uh, again, the Lord brought somebody into my life. A pastor on sabbatical uh, was my roommate, and he was a Reformed Presbyterian. And I would just pick his brain constantly. We started going to church. I I went to a church. It was a Presbyterian church. Uh, Some of you know Ligon Duncan. He was pastoring that church at the time in Jackson, Mississippi. So I came from a place where really the scriptures weren't open that much on the Lord's Day when we would come together. And then now I'm, I'm just getting this feast 
And, and uh, we were there twice on Sunday, on Wednesday, and I was learning so much from this, this roommate that I had. And by the time I left Jackson to go, that was just sort of an in-between spot, and then I was going go, uh, to go to Louisville. I was looking for a confessional reformed church and even a confessional reformed Baptist church. I had met some of these reformed Baptists that I'd never heard of uh, when I was in Jackson. So that's what I Googled when I got to Louisville, Reformed Baptist Church of Louisville. And that's the name of our church. So uh, it's not very creative, but it's at least helpful in being descriptive. So I went to the church. And it was just an oasis for my soul, a blessing that the word of God was opened. Uh, The people really seemed to love each other. I was used to people hitting the door the second the sermon was over. Got to go to lunch, you know. These people hung around. They talked to each other. Uh, They invited me over to their homes. Pastor Jim shook my hand the first day. I was used to seeing the pastor up on the stage like this guy that, you know, is like untouchable and he never comes down to meet with the people. But Pastor Jim shook my hand. I mean, so pretty quickly I realized that's where I need to be. And so the Lord was, was again, just guiding me in his goodness and kindness and in his grace toward me and was feeding me. And I had, I was so much craving godly mentors, godly men in my life. And here I had a room full of godly men that I could just learn from. Well, different doors for ministry were opening. Uh, I got more or less roped into the prison ministry that we were doing there and started to do some preaching. And the Lord was using that. And then uh, by the time I graduated from the seminary, and was about to leave, there was an opportunity. Maybe you all have prayed for Mackerfelt Reformed Baptist Church in Northern Ireland. Um, We have a close relationship in Louisville with the church in Maidenbower, uh, where Pastor Jeremy Walker is now, and uh, Austin Walker was there at the time. But Mackerfelt needed someone for like two months, and they needed a young man who could do some preaching. So Pastor Jim connected me with them. And I wrestled with it, whether I would do that, and I did it. And uh, they thought they were getting a seasoned preacher because Pastor Jim, Sevastio, was sending them a preacher. So they were at first a little bit uh, disappointed, I think, like, this is just a young guy. He's not even preached before. So the Lord used it, though, and I love those people, and it was really a sweet time. But by the end of that, Pastor Walker, both of them, Jeremy and Austin, were really pressing me and say, hey, you need to think about whether the Lord might be calling you to the ministry. My plan was always to go back to Oklahoma to be an engineer and to find a good church and just serve the Lord however he might have me serve him. But I really wrestled with it and eventually decided that I would go back to Louisville. They asked me to do an internship. I went and did that, and that led to a call by the church. And so I've been a pastor there coming up on five years. But um, let me give you this, this advice that, that I'll just tell you who it was. It was Pastor Austin Walker. He gave me some of the best advice I've ever received as I was wrestling with my call. Complete self-consecration to Christ as his disciple is true of every Christian, regardless of his or her specific calling. Complete self-consecration, devotion to Christ. You are bound to give your Lord and Master the highest service and love that your capacities and circumstances allow. So it's just to remind you all, as I was saying yesterday, we're not our own. That's what he's saying. We are not our own, but we belong to God. So think about your life. You're wrestling. What might the Lord be calling me to do? Might be preparing some of you young men for the ministry. I don't know. 
But think about it this way, that, that if you're a disciple of Christ, you're following the Lord, he calls you to full self-consecration to him, whatever your calling might be, whatever you might be doing, to serve him, to give that highest love and service to him that your capacities and your circumstances allow. If he wants you to be a pastor and you're seeking to serve him and be faithful, he's going to get you there. But if it's something else, you can serve the Lord and and so many different capacities. But remember that you're not your own. It's not just that God made you, but remember, if you're a believer, God has saved you and redeemed you. So he owns you. He's, he's yours, not just as creator, but as your father and redeemer. And you've been bought with a mighty price, the price of the blood of Christ. So we need to offer ourselves completely to God. Romans 12:1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That means laying your life on the altar to God. Lord, take my life. It's yours. That's where you need to be. And by God's grace, God will bring you to that place. Say, I want to be whatever you want to be. Take my life. So you young people especially, whatever you want to be, and I hope, I hope you have ambitions, I hope you have drive, and you want to study, you want to work hard, and you have goals. But whatever you want to be, I hope you desire to be godly. I hope you desire to seek the Lord and serve the Lord all the days of your life. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, Ecclesiastes 12.1. The days of your youth, remember your creator. Because when we're young, we tend to think, There's always tomorrow, but tomorrow might not come, so don't put this off. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. There's a little poem I'll leave you with. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's my story. It's a testimony of God's grace in my life. If you're a believer, that's your story too. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we can gather today on this day, a day which you have given to us as a gift, the Lord's Day. And we pray truly it would be a day of rest and of worship for us. We pray that you would use these moments as we've been considering your grace toward me, that it would be encouragement to all. And Lord, especially as we come now to worship you, to open your word, to sing your praises, to pray, we ask that you would help us, give us strength. We pray by the help of your spirit that we would worship in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord, that the good work that you begin in us, you will complete. And we pray that even today would be the day that you begin a good work in some of these young people, that you would work by your grace and make them yours and draw them to Christ, we ask in his name. Amen.